Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Quirology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Quirology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Okay. Oh, there it is. Hello. La la la. Welcome. And you're recording. Yes. Okay. Um, last year, sorry, that was shade. Um, last year, <laughs> last year we were on the Goosecast stage and it was lovely and it didn't get recorded and that's not. It just happens. So we're just making sure this year. Um, but welcome. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome to Queerology Live. Um, we're recording live in front of an audience here at Wild Goose Festival. I am here today with Anna Galladay, uh, who is a minister in the United Methodist Church. Hi, Matthias. Uh, hi, welcome. Thanks. So excited about this. Um, for, for people, how many people here have listened to Queerology before? Okay, a fair amount. For people who haven't, Queerology is a, a podcast that focuses on interviewing mostly queer people uh, who identify as being of faith in one way or another. Um, and we just talk about whatever comes up. Um, and it, it, we've been doing it for just over two years. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, so super excited to have you on the show today. I'm really excited to be here. Really, like in my belly excited. <laughs> Um, I, I first heard about Anna from Dr. Robin, who's sitting over there. Um, Dr. Robin has been on the podcast twice, and will probably be on a third time this fall when their book comes out. Um, and, and I asked Dr. Robin a few weeks ago, I'm like, who should I be talking to at Wild Goose this year? And they were like, you need to talk to Anna, and made that connection, and here we are. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read your little introduction, um, and then we can go from there. I'll be excited to hear what you say about me. <laughs> I'll listen closely. Um, so, so like I said, Anna is a minister in the United Methodist Church. Um, in 2018, she was fired from her congregation for performing a same-gender marriage. Um, and, and since then, her ministry is focused on social justice and inequity that exists both in and outside the walls of the corporate church. Uh, she's diligent in her advocacy of full inclusion of all persons in the United Methodist Church. And as a queer justice activist via faith and social construct arenas, she boldly enters spaces of difference and stands firmly in the gap. I think you wrote all of this. So I did. This is from your website. <laughs> I recognize that part. <laughs> There's a lot of things that she does. Uh, she she works in a social enterprise called Work of Place. Um, she has a snarky Jesus wear apparel company called Bias and Bourbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does work for the Center of Progressive Renewal and Convergence, and then as the executive producer of the Inhabit Conference, which happens in my hometown, Seattle, Washington, every year. Um, Anna's a really cool person. So excited to have you here. Thank you. Uh, we can start with the question I ask everyone. How do you identify? 
And how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? So you warned me about this question. It's it, yeah. And I find it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually, I, I find that if I explain how I identify, um, it actually um, all centers around the question that I ask myself every morning when I wake up. Mm. And that is, today, what's breaking my heart? Mm. And... Um, and so, f- for many, many years, uh, I have, I have tried to uh, do work in the world um, that answers that question in a way that tries to flip the script from um, inequity um, and a broken heart into equity and a full and whole heart, mm. and that has led me through many paths in this work. It's, it's also informed really clearly for me the ways in which I need to uh, tap into my own energies. Mm. Uh, because as we all know, the work is hard and it's laborious and there's way more to do than any of us have time to do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so I, that's a very general explanation mm-hmm. of how mm. I identify. Um, my, uh, my stats are, <laughs> I am, um, I identify, uh, also as a cisgender, a straight, white woman. Um, I uh, am an unapologetic sports fanatic. Yes. Um, I think that the world's greatest teams, without question, don't even try to negotiate with me, are the New Orleans Saints, <laughs> the Virginia Tech Hokies, and the Washington Capitals. I know what those words mean individually. <laughs> it's, it's fair. It's fair. It's fair. Um, it's it's two sports, uh, two sports that use um, a, a pigskin. Cool. And one sport that uses a very dense rubber puck. Hockey. Yes. Yeah. See, cool. I, 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 I knew we'd get there. Yeah. Um, I I adore. Um, my husband of 22 years, mm. uh, who is is really a gem and has been a, a great support system for me in this work. Mm. Um, I'm an animal fanatic. Mm. Um, I have um, amazing animals. Um, they are my children of choice, yes. and um, and and it's going to stay that way. Mm. Uh, I also um, identify deeply from a spiritual standpoint. Um, as a Wesleyan. Mm. Um, and I much prefer to call myself a Wesleyan than I do to call myself a United Methodist. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I believe that, um, you know, in the same ways that much of Christianity has been co-opted by the brands that we've given it, mm. the United Methodist Church has been co-opted by its brand identity. Yeah. And um, Wesley... Um, would be having a shit fit right now, mm. and I and I think that if if we're honest with ourselves, um, especially those of us who are in the midst of this United Methodist nightmare, um, mm. I would much rather follow the teachings of John Wesley and Jesus than I ever would those who have structured the polity mm. under which I'm I'm uh, I'm girded right now, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I think I. I also identify very heavily from an Enneagram standpoint. Um, I am a seven. Me too. I am a seven with an eight wing, um, uh, which mainly means that I am up for anything, anytime, 
the crazier, the better, the mm. more spontaneous, the better. Mm. Um, but don't make me talk about how it makes me feel. <laughs> fair. The That's end. fair. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, how, so do you, how do you feel about that? I, and so how that has influenced my spirituality um, is that, you know, I, I do work, uh, I, I work really intentionally, um, like in that sphere. Mm. I feel like my life is kind of this series, this Venn diagram that kind of, you know, circles that overlap and, and I am at the center, but all of these pieces and parts of who I am, um, form, um, you know, form that diagram. And in some ways, some things intersect mm. in other ways they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they all, they all fully inform, you know, who I am as a person. Um, my spirituality is deeply, um, Wesleyan and mm. is deeply Jesus informed. Um, but I'm, I'm also a fifth generation United Methodist. Mm-hmm. Um, my, mm-hmm. my ancestors planted the first church in the Shenandoah Valley mm-hmm. where I was born and raised when a circuit rider that was dispatched by John Wesley came, come, came through our countryside. Wow. My, my roots in, in, in the system um, as flawed as it is are, are really, really, really deep and ingrained. Um, and so, from a spiritual standpoint, often that's hard to untie. It's very tangled. And, and I'm, and I'm working every day to try to figure out what it looks like to still be a United Methodist and also, um, uh, you know, not find myself complicit in, um, the ways in which we're making things Mm. really difficult for the people that we're oppressing. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways it sounds like, I mean, your, your faith tradition is so, it's like in your blood mm. in a way, five generations. Yeah. Um, you said earlier, you identify as, as what is breaking my heart today. Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but with what's going on in the UMC right now, to me, that's heartbreaking. It is. Um, and in some ways you experienced kind of the brunt of that, like a year being fired, you were fired. You told me almost the day, a year before the decision from the United Methodist church this year to, um, I don't know what language you would use, but basically to kick out anyone who's queer. Um, and you, you were fired a year before that. So, so in some ways you experienced that before it happened. And yet uh-huh. there've been things going on in the UMC for years. Right. Um, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about what that journey has been like, mm-hmm. but also with, with something that's so deeply part of your bones, okay. the tensions that kind okay. of exist in there. Yeah, sure. I, I'd love to share that story. I, I think it's important that I, I do a little bit of storytelling about mm-hmm. how I kind of came to the place where I even had to make the decision yeah. to perform this wedding um, because it, it really also speaks to the brokenness of our system. Um, uh, and so I, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to back up about six or seven years. Great. Um, as I said, I, I'm a lifelong United Methodist. I'm a, I'm a person who up until about six years ago, um, was the quintessential committee lead. Hmm. I chaired the board of trustees for nine consecutive years. I was the chair of SPR. Um, I led our capital campaign. Um, I mean, I was doing all the things that, um, that 
I, I thought from a leadership standpoint were necessary in the church because I was doing everything I could to shut down the voice of God in my ear saying, I told you it was ministry, not leadership. Mm. Like you, I told you mm. you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be spreading the word in a different way and not simply managing this committee. And I was doing everything I could for a really long time to say, yeah, no, I'm cool. Thanks. I got this. I don't, I'm, I'm all right. Um, and, and, you know, anyway, like we need a trustee chair that's, you know, that like can get shit done. Uh-huh. So I made a lot of excuses. Um, that was all taking place when I was living still in Virginia, where I was born and raised. Um, uh, I mean, Mike and I had been married for many years, but we were still living about 10 miles from my parents, um, who were also deeply entrenched in the same United Methodist Church that I was leading in. And uh, through a series of, of other things, I my job took me to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And for the first time in my life, other than when I was in a dorm room, um, or an apartment on a college campus, I moved away from my hometown mm. at the age of 36, mm, mm. Um, which it was really it was really impactful for me. I had never kind of severed myself from the emotional or physical kind of uh, relationships that had had brought me up. And I, I looking back on it, I now realize that Chattanooga was a, that the move to Tennessee was a very um, a pivotal point in this work for me mm. um, because I can now look back on it and say it was at the moment that I n- no longer felt under the eye of my father mm. that I finally found myself confident enough to step into a world that I felt I had always been called to, mm-hmm. but wasn't able to, to move into kind of being a hometown girl and being identified on the streets a right. lot as, oh, hey, you're Jim's daughter. Right, right. Not, oh, you're Anna. Mm-hmm. And so Chattanooga became this really, um, it, it really kind of breathtaking place for me because I was coming into a space of my own that I didn't even know I needed. Mm-hmm. And what happened there was I was asked to participate in the we called it revitalization. Really what it ended up being was a replant Mm. of a hundred year old United Methodist congregation in the heart of um, an urban center that was down to about 10 elderly members Mm. and, and, and really had no hope of survival was, was one of the next on the list in our, in our conference to be closed. Mm And a team of us came in, um, a team from, from another church who, who in this really brilliant way um, asked, they're a mega church, they asked a hundred people if they would go and be urban missionaries at this replant for a, a, a period of three years and commit to replanting themselves in this congregation so that they could then be the, the mass that brought this place back to life in addition to the ways in which we were then also going into the world to try to find people that, that this could be a safe place for. Mm-hmm. I was partnered in this work um, with um, a, a queer man mm-hmm. um, who uh, was leading the congregation from a pastoral standpoint and at the permission of our bishop, mm-hmm was leading the congregation. Hmm. We had decided that in this replant, we were going to be full laity led, at least for a series of years. What that meant is because nobody was appointed as the pastor, 
anyone could lead and preach from the pulpit, which included an openly gay man, because he had not been sanctioned in, and didn't need to be sanctioned by our conference mm. to, to be in that space. Mm. And so we, what, what we ended up doing was replanting this beautiful community that was full of queer folk because it was a safe place because most of the time there was a queer man in the pulpit preaching the word to people who had never found a safe place in the Bible Belt to, right. to, be, to be themselves. Right, right, right. So here we here we found ourselves growing this congregation um, at one point up to about 220 people wow. from 10 wow. over a series of just a few years with the permission of our bishop and our our annual conference um, and and um, because for them at that point it was about numbers and money right. i mean let's let's get real mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. always about numbers and money mm -hmm. but they were willing to let us continue doing what we were doing because technically on the books we weren't breaking any rules we weren't marrying anyone in the church. We weren't hosting weddings in the church. We didn't have a pastor appointed to our church that was marrying people. Um, and through all of that, I answered the call to ministry. And after several years, um, took Carl's place and became the pastor of this congregation in, a, in an official way. Mm. Um, which, as a straight identifying person was was easy hmm. i mean it, it made things very it actually made things much feel much com more comfortable i think for our bishop because she could say like you know it like it doesn't feel weird anymore like it's official right um i then also was appointed to a second church in chattanooga hmm. um uh and so I was serving alongside another pastor. The two of us were co-serving two congregations in Chattanooga. They were the only two reconciling uh, United Methodist congregations in the city. Hmm. Um, reconciling Ministries, for those of you that don't know, in the world is a is kind of a a, a lobbying and and energetic arm for inclusion within the United Methodist Church. And churches actually agree to be reconciling and kind of take that moniker on um, in order to um, both provide safe spaces. Uh, for queer folk, but also to identify to the the city that they're in that they are a part of this this greater this greater work. We also work in conjunction throughout the you know throughout the the country and the world when it comes time to do polity decisions to try to influence things that are going on in the church. Holston Conference, the conference that I'm a part of. I promise I'm getting the end of the story. Holston Conference had at that point 860 United Methodist churches in it. Wow. There were three reconciling congregations out of 860, and I pastored two of them. Ooh. Huh. And and now and now we and we all know the rest of the story. Um, many know the rest of the story. I was asked, um, after, after many years, um, of, of knowing and being in relationship with, um, two women, um, if I would stand before them and, and, and marry them, um, alongside their five-year-old son. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I tell everyone, I, I don't, I don't know that I discerned my call as much as I discerned the decision to say yes to them. It was, I mean, it was a really important decision for me because 
I knew based on living in the area of the country that I live in, that the consequences could be extremely serious for me. Um, much of the rest of the country, there are areas in the rest of the country for the United Methodist Church where bishops uh, afford their pastors rights that do not coincide with our book of discipline. Right. I do not live in that area. Right, right, right. And so I perform this wedding and um, a photo is somehow leaked to the bishop. And I um, went through um, a few meetings with my district superintendent, the first of which he said, you know, I heard that you performed a wedding. I said, how do you know that? He said, I heard there was a picture. I said, what does the picture show? He said, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Hmm. I said, well, with with all due respect, I'm not going to answer a question that could completely incriminate and decimate my congregation without you sh telling me what it is you think I should be answering to. Mm -hmm. And he honored me in that. He mm -hmm. said, you know, you're right. Like, I'm not going to ask you to, to, you know, to, to out yourself if I don't have any proof. Mm -hmm. um, and he spent the next six weeks finding the proof. Wow. And, wow. and I, and I, I was called in on a, I was called on Tuesday, February 27th, and he said, Anna, I need to see you in my office. It's urgent. Um, I'd like you to come tomorrow. Um, I knew instantly mm -hmm. what was about to happen. Um, and on February 28th of 2018, um, I was told that my credentials had been rescinded that I was no longer the pastor of the church, that the district committee had already met and determined my fate. Mm. And then I was asked if I had anything to say. Mm. So I was not afforded due process. Um, part of that is the reason, part of that reason is because I am in a category of pastoral um, leadership called, a, a, I'm a licensed local pastor. And mm. so that, 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 type of pastoral ministry doesn't necessarily require them to give me due process. It's a blessing and a curse in that because I wasn't afforded due process and was fired instantly, my credentials have stayed in place. Hmm. So at any time when the UMC changes their regulations, I'm eligible for reappointment. Hmm. Or should I move to some place and a bishop says, Anna, we want you come to us. I could be reinstated immediately. Hmm. The, the the downside to that is I never got to tell my story. I never got to stand in front of the people that made the decision on my behalf to take away the most important job I've ever had mm -hmm. and the thing that gives me the most life and tell them why I did it. Right. And so all of my storytelling, everything that I had to do post firing was to explain the why. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just a firm believer that none of us should have to explain ourselves after we after decisions have already been made about us. I believe mm -hmm. that we should be able to explain ourselves in the moment mm -hmm. and then have people decide mm -hmm. what our fate was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I'll mention is that, mm -hmm. you know, my bishop had a lot of options with me. Mm -hmm. um, I we were one year away from the general conference vote where we knew that we were going to speak specifically about the thing that she decided to let me go for. Right. I could have been put on a year's probation. 
Um, I could have been asked to sign an affidavit saying I would not do any more weddings for that year until we knew what had happened. Um, I could have been put on probation. I could have been, I could have been suspended, right. even just suspended for a certain period of time. There were a million options. Mm-hmm. And not only was I not asked what would you like or what would work best for us as a, as a, as a unit mm-hmm. in this work. Um, but it, it was decided for me that the best thing for them to do was to simply cut the head off the dragon right. and walk away from the fact that any harm had ever come to Holson conference and anyone mm. in the conference had ever done anything poorly. Mm. Walk me back to those, like walking out of the doors of that meeting and I, you said you don't like talking about your feelings, but <laughs> <laughs> here I am, a therapist. It's, yeah, like, here you are. <laughs> I, like, I can only imagine, like, the, I mean, the heartbreak, the, the anger, like, I, I, I can still sense the anger. I, yeah. Yes, like, it, it's a good thing. Um, it, it feels like such a betrayal uh, to have kind of your whole community turn on you like that. You know, what's interesting is, so yes, I was very angry and I was sad. What, what most folks don't uh, remember in this work and, the, and those of us that are, were there at the moment do is that, you know, my congregations did not want this. My congregations did not support this. Mm. In fact, my congregations didn't even know about this until the Sunday after it happened. When the district superintendent showed up at the end of worship while I'm sitting in a pew and said, so I have some news for you. And they were decimated and broken. And I mean, it was, there was a yelling match in Mm. one of the churches, Mm. you know, people standing up and yelling from the backs of the pews. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how dare you? Mm. What, what do you mean? Like, like she's our person. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had, I had so much support from a congregational standpoint, from a, from a a friendship standpoint. I mean, my co-pastor actually went to my meeting with me. Mm. I mean, he said, um, you know, I called him and I said, you know, I I had let him know that we were, that things had been, you know, that I was being investigated per Mm -hmm. se. Um, and, and I called him that Tuesday and I said, I, you know, uh, I just got the call from the DS, the district superintendent. Um, he wants to meet with me tomorrow. I think I know what this is about. And he said, tell me what time I'll be there. Hmm. and sat in full solidarity with me um, from the moment that uh, it started until the moment that it ended. I had a wealth of support, um, and yet it still sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, the, the biggest challenge I ran into immediately was, was with my parents. Hmm. Um, uh, there, there were few, there were, there were, there was no harder conversation than the one when I had to call my dad and say, so, mm-hmm. you know, these churches I've been serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's not happening anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and by the way, like I'm, like I'm now that person that you're going to see on the news. Um, but I, I am, I can tell you without question if I was asked to do it again, I'd do it again. Yeah. 
and and I and I and I would I would do it with the same amount of care and love and discernment and understanding for the toll that it might take on both my personal and professional life. Um, I would, I would, the only thing I would change would be the, uh, a, a diff, would be hoping for a different outcome for the family that I married and the way it affected them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, and that, and I mean, you know, that pain, I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't take that pain on. Mm -hmm. We agreed as a threesome that I was, that we were all going to do this and they understood the risks as well, but just watching the after effects, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. with them, um, and the ways in which it, 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 it really broke their hearts. I, that, that is the, that is the biggest thing that I would change. Hmm. I can also say, and this may sound cliche, hmm. but I am now at the point, even even though it is still emotional, I am now fully speaking this story um, from my scars and no longer from my open wound. Right. I have I, therapy and my relationship with, with the pastors that rallied around me, um, my squad of people who I really would not have survived without, um, were, were the things that, that made me, um, whole mm-hmm. in that time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that I am, I am, more grateful for relationships now than I ever was. Um, I also find myself a little bit more suspicious um, of them than I ever was just based on, you know, kind of what transpired. Yeah. That makes sense. I I mean, what you're talking about is, is an experience of, I'm going to use the word betrayal again, um, that I feel like, is a, is a small part of such a larger story. Uh, like there's so many church denominations, not just the UMC, but like evangelical covenant church just two weeks ago, like so many denominations kind of making these decisions Uh to draw a line on queer issues. Um, and, and you've been in that world for a while, um, working with it and, and having that experience of, your faith community that you've given your life to turning on you. And I, I, I wonder, and I think there are a lot of people who this year are kind of experiencing that maybe for the first time. I, I think as queer people, we don't necessarily like, we've always had that experience. And yet there's, I feel like I always give people the benefit of the doubt of mm-hmm. kind of like, well, we'll never get that bad. Mm-hmm. And we're now at the points of where it's like, well, no, it is, mm-hmm. it is that bad. Yeah. Like, uh, for people who are kind of starting to this journey, this one that you've been on, like what have you learned? How have you learned to work with yourself? Like how do you keep going? So I'm, I remind myself constantly that this work is about solidarity and about equity. Um, not about, um, not about finding a way for, me to be whole, mm. but finding a way for us collectively to be whole. Mm. Um, one of the one of the most one of the things that surprises me the most about myself in this thing is that um, the Sunday after I was let go, I talked with the pastor that had stood alongside me, and I said, "You know, I don't, 
I am, I am begging my congregation to not leave. Mm. I mean, I spoke directly to them in, in many ways and videos and in person. And, and many of them said, you know, like, what should we do? Like, should we, should we leave? Should we jump ship? Should we like, how do you want us to respond? Like we're mad. And I, and I begged them not to go because I felt as if not, not, not from a, not from a, a standpoint of, um, wanting to continue to harm them or, or knowing that they may still be harmed, but simply from a standpoint that I, I believed that I believed that the United Methodist church was on the, on the brink of something. Hmm. And I said to my pastor, my pastor Gary, I said, you know, I don't believe I can ask these people to stay with us in this work. If I don't model for them, what that looks like. Mm-hmm can I come to church on Sunday? Mm. And every Sunday I have been in the pew with my people since I got fired instead of in the pulpit Mm. alongside them, continuing this walk, continuing this, this mode of solidarity. I, I will never know what it's like to um, live in the, live in this world as a, a queer body. Mm-hmm. I will never know what that um, what that feels like. What the world does to someone, um, and yet, if I'm not willing to, as as my friend Stan Mitchell says, if I'm not willing to stand as close to the people who are having stones thrown at them, mm-hmm. so that I too am hit with the same stones, then I am not in solidarity with them. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm. I I must be as close to them in this in the persecution mm-hmm. as I am in the work. Otherwise, I'm I'm not walking alongside them. I'm walking at an arm's distance so that I too don't are not damaged mm-hmm, mm-hmm, by who they are. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just sitting with that like I mean this is switching gears a little bit but I think it's it's along the same kind of road because when Dr. Robin first was kind of talking about you I asked him like does she identify as queer and and Dr. Robin said well she's Um, (laughs) queer-ish and 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 as someone who I think the first time I ever saw you was at Wild Goose last year, mm-hmm. and I saw you, and uh, I mean you present as queer. I do. Um, and, and and that my automatic it's the greatest was... compliment I ever get. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, and and so I think I just assumed like oh, oh she's queer, and then um, I mean there that starts bringing in a whole lot of complexity, mm-hmm. um, and it's always a fascinating conversa- conversation to to talk to people who. I mean, you never said the word queerish, but Dr. Robin did. Yeah. The, being married to a man in a straight passing relationship, mm-hmm. presenting as queer. I mean, I, the, there's complexity there. Sure. I, I, and I'm there's curious also a about, shit ton of privilege. Yes. And the question then becomes, how do I use that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and am mm-hmm. I using it in a way that is, that is, that, that demands a, a response from those who, um, from those who have the same straight privilege um, and, and can, and can the way that I present and live my life and, and work my privilege 
uh, manifest itself as an example to those who um, who may not present the way I do, but also um, still have the privilege I do. Yeah, yeah. I also think I I also think I said when you you said that that was what Dr. Robin said. I said I would prefer diet queer. Diet queer. Yeah, like or like a truvia truvia queer, like naturally sweetened. <laughs> But yeah. not fully essence of manifested. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like a LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Look, I, I recognize and, and for those who on the other end of this podcast, I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a femme woman um, who rocks a platinum blonde faux hawk mm-hmm. uh, every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people in my camper right now who yesterday morning woke up because they wanted to see how my hair was done. They, she said, I want to watch the magic happen. I've never watched this before. <laughs> I literally thought that this morning, I literally thought of you when I was doing my hair and I was like, I wonder how she's doing her hair this morning. Mm. <laughs> so funny story. Yeah. The very first year I came to the wild goose five years ago, um, I tent camped. And I said, and I, and I said, never again, never again. One, because I'm super spoiled and really like a few creature comforts Mm -hmm. Two, because I didn't like blow drying my hair over there in front of a mirror in front of all these people. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I mean, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't care for it. (laughs) Proud of you. Uh, (laughs) It's just it's it's what I have going for me. I'm gonna yeah. work it till I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're actively involved in kind of trying to chart and navigate a path forward, mm-hmm. and and it, I mean, to me, it feels like we're we're suffering like setback after setback after setback, which is I mean, a reflection of the political climate that we're in, um, a, a wide variety of things. Going back to that idea of what breaks my heart, like where are you finding that fullness as you're doing this work? What is bringing your heart back together? That's a difficult question. Mm. Uh, that's a that's a difficult question because I find myself, um, you know, at as someone who is is really engaged and passionate about the work in the world. I, I find myself and I desire on a consistent basis to be, for lack of a better term, in the streets, to be in, in the world in a way that, um, that makes problems and, and plight and oppression visible, mm. that, that informs uh, the the work that's necessary uh, for for others to be engaged in. Um, I will rarely pass up an opportunity to answer a call to clergy to mm. be visible in a public space at for whatever the need is, um, and that involves. I mean, I've I've been you know at the border. Um, doing work there. I've been, I mean, I was, I was entrenched in Charlottesville um, as one of the 40 plus clergy that held the line um, on August 12th in 2017. I mean, I find myself 
deeply pulled into the physical work mm-hmm. of equity and solidarity. And yet I also um, recognize that the ways in which I personally heal from that and and then fill my cup back up again um, have to be very devoid from that. Um, I, I relish time with friends. Mm. I relish bourbon on the porch. I, I relish, um, you know, a, 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 an amazing Netflix binge. Mm I, I, I relish the dog park with my puppy Mm. whose name is Ruthie Bader, by the way, she's pretty badass. (laughs) Um, I, I relish these things that very intentionally take me out of the space, Mm. um, because I find myself going at full speed all the time, which Mm. part of being a seven, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have a true dial down like my zero to 10 kind of goes goes from 10 to six and a half and then back up to like, I balance in that space. (laughs) And so even relaxation for me is, is like not relaxation to many others. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find that I actually have to separate myself from the work fully Mm -hmm. and, 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 and be real intentional about like where I find healing space and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Otherwise um, I, I will find myself in a rut for a, for a period of time that, mm. and, and, and I'm, I desire productivity and, and action much more than I do working my way out of a, out of a emotional gutter. Right. I mean, that's, I think what you're, you're talking about is kind of this idea of embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this has come up so often, I think in our conversation of, what does it mean to put our bodies on the line? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're kind of circling around that idea. That's making me think of like activist theology of right. Dr. Robin's work and, and the work that you're doing with them right. around that. Theologically, how does that kind of tie into the work that you're doing? How do you understand that? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It, for those of you that don't know about the activist theology project, I know that you've had Dr. Robin on your show a few times and, and Robin has talked about their work and, and the work that, that they're doing in the world. Um, this project, um, that I've been invited into is, um, is, is life giving for me as someone who really does want to get my hands dirty. Mm. Right. Um, I, I think that Dr. Robin and I have a really interesting balance in, in the way that we do the work because Robin as a theologian, um, you know, who is, um, you know, trained in the Academy, um, and has a PhD, um, is, 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 uh, is, is a head first heart close second Mm -hmm. in the work. Mm -hmm. I believe I'm the opposite, Mm. um, heart first head close second Mm -hmm. in the work. Mm -hmm. And, and we found this beautiful balance in, in, in finding, you know, ways in which, um, I bring my, deeply entrenched uh jesus centric um practice to to our conversation and 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 robin honors me in that i also think that the that the the work that active the activist theology project has the 
capacity to to do in the world um, is multifaceted enough to um, incorporate all all kinds of structures Mm -hmm. and so for me that structure may feel much more comfortable in a corporate um church setting Mm -hmm. within the walls of sanctuary where those who are like-minded and and want to understand how to do work in the world can have the tools and the and the vision by which they do that Mm -hmm. um you know whereas we also have you know the capacity to do the same work in the academy in in a not-for-profit setting in a corporate or an organizational setting that look very different from our from our our church structures and so one of the one of the the great things about the work of the project is that I'm able to I'm able to bloom and and be as authentic um, a person as I am because the opportunity to still do this work deeply entrenched with um, you know a, a, a highly a, a still highly you know colonial patriarchal misogynist corporate church structure um, is necessary. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of the places we need to start if we're going to start to dismantle these structures of oppression, not just that affect queer folk, right. but that are affecting, you know, a third of the world. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I think that highlights a point that I, I always like, it, it's very rare that I have allies on the podcast. Um, I think you're number four. Um, wow. And out of 80 some episodes. Uh, and this is a question I always get because there's so many allies who listen to the podcast. Um, and so as someone who is like actively modeling this work, which I I think you are, um, I always get that question of like, what place do I have in this movement from the allies of like, what can I really do? And it doesn't, it's never from like a place of guilt, but that kind of that sense of, I mean, I know when I, in the places where I, try to come alongside other people that there's that always wrestling with inadequacy I think um, what would you say to people who are, who are listening who are, who are wanting to kind of step more into this work of coming alongside queer people not just queer people but in all of those spheres that you're talking about um, what, what, what have you learned from that what, what maybe advice would you give I've learned a lot um, I've learned a lot the hard way I've learned a lot by um, stepping on toes and acting um, way more um, bossy and aggressive and assertive than I ever should mm-hmm. in spaces of um, with with those who are oppressed. Um, my my greatest takeaways from the work are first um, to um, keep my ears way more open than my mouth. Um, very hard for me. Sarcastic bitch. And I, like, I have so much to say all the time, but in the work, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the work, ears open, mouth shut. Mm -hmm. Um, in any way I can, unless there's danger, wait for an invitation. Mm. Um, be invited into a space. Don't assume that that space needs you. Um, but also be super in tune to the ways in which you might um, 
help others understand that you are open to an invitation. Mm. Mm. Um, and the last is, um, if you really believe in the work, if you really believe in it, not superficially, mm. not from a, it would be great if we could accomplish this standpoint, but from a, if we don't do it now, more people will die, more people will suffer, more people will continue to be pushed down and there will be the feet there will be feet on the necks of more people if we don't act immediately mm -hmm. if if that's the way you feel about the work and you are not willing to put your physical body into the work yep. then you don't really feel that way in the first place okay. yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you know listening waiting for an invitation and then the and then once that invitation comes doing the work with your body and your mind wherever that is called to be done mm -hmm. whether it is sitting in a school board meeting and listening to someone talk about transgender restrooms and and someone saying ridiculous things from the stage mm -hmm. and standing in solidarity even as a, even as a straight ally making your presence known in that space from a height standpoint that you are going to stand and be noticed because you are not going to allow whoever has the microphone to be speaking that way about people that you are in solidarity with anything from as simple as that to there is work that needs to be done physically in the streets mm. and, and your privilege as an ally gives you the ability to do that in ways that, that the, that the oppressed community that you are seeking to be in solidarity with does not have mm -hmm. go into the streets, mm -hmm. go into the fucking streets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How can people find your work? Mm. I am I am available via Instagram and Twitter at unholy heretic. Stop. Unholy <laughs> H A I R heretic. Nope. Nope. <laughs> um and my website is unholyheretic.com. And then I'm available um, on my professional Facebook page at Anna Galladay. Okay. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So much. This, this is so much such fun. a pleasure. Yeah. We could, we could talk forever. <laughs> we could. We could talk forever. Yeah. It's so good. So good. So good. Yeah. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much. Thank it was you. a gift for you to, for you to ask me to, to be a part of this. Thanks, Matthias. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.